Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. First, Elijah tested her, give me a drink. Then it was, give me some bread. Then it was, make me a cake. We went from a drink to bread to cake. He kept pushing and he kept testing her to do more, to do more, to do more. Because she needed to be have her faith tested so that she could really see the glory of God in this. And so after Elijah heard about how bad her situation really was, because she had faith, oh, listen to this, because she had faith, She said, as sure as the Lord your God lives, because she had faith, a promise came with this. He says, if you do this, then you will have enough to feed yourself and your son, and you will never run out of it. How many of you would have reacted like the widow did in that situation? I think most people would say, yes, I would have done that. I I think most people said, no, I ain't got it, not giving it. That's our world today. Be a giver. If you want to have the promise, you need to be a giver and then much will be given to you. You see, everybody loves the idea of getting a blessing, but it's that upfront giving part that blows it for most people. They don't want to give up front, and so they never get to the blessing side. People always say, no, you give to me first, and then when I'm better established, then when I feel like I've I've got enough to get by, then I will give. No, you won't. If you don't give now, you never will. Oh, Lord, just make me rich first, and then I will give all that needs to be given to the church or what? No, if you won't give now, you never will. And I I hear that from people all the time. Uh, People talk to me about giving to the church, and they say, well, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. My bills are too high. I can't afford it. See, that's the mentality. If you're never going to be a giver, you're never going to get the big blessing. Like Not like this. So she proved herself to be a giver before the blessing came. She proved to be a giver, a faithful, I see that God's at work in you. I'm going to trust that. She was a giver before the blessing came. Friends, can you do that today? Can you be a giver? No, I'm not going to ask you to give to Set for Life. I mean, you can if you want. I'm not going that way. Are you giving to the body of Christ? Are you giving to kingdom work? Are you giving of what you have? No, I can't afford it. Well, then you're nowhere near where this widow woman was at. You need to be a giver first before you can get the blessing. So it made zero sense. It made no sense at all for the widow to give him a cake with what little she had left. Okay, it just didn't add up. But by faith, she demonstrated by her actions that she trusted that the Lord could make this work. And so the Lord honored her faith by fulfilling his promise to her, and then her food supply never ran out until God brought the rains back, and then she had food from there anyway. But let's take this miracle a step further than what we've dread so far. 
There's a famine in the land. We understand that. So now this miracle of giving this endless food supply to this poor widow, this was now no longer just about her, but this miracle itself was now another testament against all the people in the entire land that worshiped Baal because they believed that Baal was the provider, was the life giver, the rain bringer that had the power to stop the famine. And so since the famine still wasn't over, but the Lord God was going to bless this widow woman, everybody's going to look at her and go, what? You got what? How? You got all the, you're a widow. You're not, you're not expected to make it through this. And you got an unlimited food supply through who? And his name's not Baal. We want to know who this is. Do you see what God's doing? Not just for the widow, not just for Elijah, but the whole land of Israel. You know that this news is going to spread around really, really fast, right? So what you have here is a, is a society of people that thought Baal could stop the famine. But now here is Elijah, whose very name meant Yahweh, the Lord. Yahweh is my God. And he showed that only Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true God that could provide flour and oil during a famine to the poorest of the poor. This is a God that loves people. This is a God that loves even the seemingly smallest of us all, yet he has enough compassion to save even the weakest and smallest of all society. Everybody's going to love hearing that news because everybody feels like they're nothing. Everybody feels like I am worthless and you're not. The Lord God had Elijah pass everybody in the land to get to this widow to save her because that is going to send a message to the whole nation. And this news is going to go quick. God used this situation here to send out the message that says, I am the God of Israel. And so not just King Ahab out there worshiping Baal, but everyone on a national scale was about to find out real fast who God is, who the provider is. And it ain't Baal. It's the God of Israel. They would also learn that the false gods they had been worshiping all this time were completely and totally useless. 1 Kings 17.17 Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin? to remembrance, and to kill my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. (laughs) The plot thickens, doesn't it? You know, raising this boy from the dead, that was just one other big layer of impossibility here to the story. 
to demonstrate that the Lord God of Israel was capable of giving life, while the non-existent Baal gives life to no one. The Lord God can raise from the dead. The Lord God can revive. He can restore. He can bring back that which is lost. And Baal can't do a thing because Baal doesn't exist. And so the famine, as if that was bad enough, now the death of this boy really stirred up Elijah's compassion. And typically, whenever somebody prayed for somebody else, they would put their hand on them or reach their hand towards them as an expression of a transference of power passing to the person that needed it. But Elijah had so much compassion for this boy that he laid on the boy. He laid on top of him, not just put a hand on him. He laid on him. It was kind of an indication to of the full desire to transfer as much power to the boy as he could possibly do. He demonstrated his full compassion. Lord, please heal this boy with everything I have. Lord, please raise this boy back up. Lord, save him. What a demonstration of compassion, doing all he could do. And Elijah did this not once, but twice, but three times for the boy's restoration. And the reason he did this so many times is because it demonstrated persistence. Friends, persistence of prayer is required to receive what you ask for. I'm going to say it again. Persistence of prayer is required to receive what you're asking for. First Kings 17.23 And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. See, this woman had been lied to so many times. She had been let down so many times. She was about to die. Nobody would help her. Everybody may have said, yeah, I'll help you later. Everybody being lied to and let down, nobody held up anything worth trusting. And this woman says, I finally have something I can trust. You're telling the truth. I believe this. And she was so excited. But friends, this was the very first time in the Bible that anyone had ever been raised from the dead. Now, a lot of people throughout history, they refuse to believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they think he was so weak, he just wasn't moving. But Elijah said, your son lives, bring him back, bring his soul back. The boy was dead, guys. He was dead as it gets. And he had actually been raised back up from the dead. Now, we had these various miracles happen here that were facilitated by suffering. That's something we really need to get a hold of here. The miracles were demonstrated through suffering. Friends, the miracle of salvation came to us through suffering through Jesus Christ dying on the cross. But these miracles here, through suffering, that was there was a lack of food. That was a testament against the false god of Baal. And even more so, this boy being raised up from the dead, it was another big layer that showed the widow and other people around her, all the land, that it's better to trust in the Lord God, it's better to trust in the power of God than in Baal. So Baal has all these strikes against him. One was a rebuke against King Ahab. You you need to stop this. Another strike against Baal was in the famine that he could, apparently Baal couldn't bring the water and the rain back during the famine. And another strike against Baal was God's provision of food to the widow. 
Remember, Baal was supposed to be the god of rain, fertility, and life. That was all his responsibility. Baal's supposed to take care of that, but he never did. The Lord God of Israel got into the middle, and the worst of the worst, the part where it's the most impossible likely to happen, and made it happen. And you don't think people ain't going to talk about this. Of course they are. So, the first thing in our chapter today was a stern message of repentance. You need to stop worshiping false gods. And this was an offensive message. Very offensive. How dare you tell me that my way of living is wrong? It was an offensive message because it undermined the way everybody conducted themselves. It convicted their behavior. People don't like to be told that kind of stuff. But we know that this was simply God trying to call his people back to safety. So whenever I call people to repentance, I'm trying to call you to safety, to where God wants to do good things for you, to where God wants to bless you. Because yes, what you're doing is wrong. It's going to get you in trouble. But you sometimes wonder why is it that when God tells us to call some people to repentance, that they get so uncomfortable with us. And not only that, but we get uncomfortable with wanting to call them to repentance in the first place. A lot of Christians fail on this part, that they don't want to call anybody to repentance because they're afraid that the person's going to get offended and retaliate and hurt them back or something. Yes, Ahab did take offense to Elijah's rebuke. Yes, the gospel message requires a repentance. It requires a change of, of behavior and attitude and the way you think about everything. It requires a new life. It's all offensive. It is. The gospel message is offensive to those who love their sin, but our gospel message of rebuke is not without substance. What I mean by that is there is the Lord God who backs it, because to call people back to safety requires that you do it with the word of God and not with your opinion. You don't say, hey, you should live like me because I'm better than you. Nobody's going to like that. You use the word of God. Most supposed Christians don't read the Word of God. That's why I'm on Set for Life, trying to tell you the Word of God as best as I can, because you need to know what God's Word says. 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince. Rebuke. That's what Elijah did to Ahab. Rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Okay. So God told Elijah, I need you to go give a very stern message to Ahab. But God also gave Elijah a pre-established place of refuge to go to, a place to escape, complete with food and water, even though that area seemed uninhabitable, like it was not a good place to go. This doesn't make sense. God will never call you to something that he's not also willing to equip you for and he will not call you to do something where he's not willing to provide for you and protect you. 1 Corinthians 7.17 But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. When God calls you to do something, so walk it, man. Get out there and do it, because if God called you, you know it's going to be okay. Just like the widow, I don't have enough food. It'll be there if you'll just do it. Just do it. You'll get it. God will provide for you in that. Philippians 4, 19. And my God shall supply most of your needs. No, it doesn't say that. And my God shall supply all your need. All of it. All your need according to his riches in glory 
by Christ Jesus. It doesn't say he's going to supply all your need according to your bank account or according to what you've got, because you don't have enough. You already know that. Lord, I don't have enough. I'm not, how am I supposed to? Yeah, you know that. That's why he says, I'll deal with it. I'll pay that bill. You don't have enough money. I'll take care of the tab. I'll pick up the check, okay? If it's God's will, it's God's bill, right? Now, before I was in ministry full-time, I worked in radio for 20 years. My own little story here. The Lord called me out of my career, the career that I had invested 20 years of my life into it. I had title. I had pay. I had good benefits. I was doing pretty good. And Lord, you want me to leave all of that and go do what? You want me to go preach the gospel full time to a world that doesn't want to hear it? You want me to leave where my comfort place is and go speak a, an offensive message to people that don't like hearing offensive messages? That's the way I perceived it. You want me to leave everything I got and go do something that makes absolutely no sense? How am I going to get by, Lord God? How am I supposed to get through this? It seems impossible. Okay. I started thinking, well, maybe God has called me to a big, giant church with a huge budget and big building and all that kind of stuff. And the Lord goes, nope, it's not going to be like that. <laughs> and I thought, it's not? <laughs> no, it's not a big building. It's You're going to plan it from nothing. You're going to start with whoever comes and build it up from there. And I thought, Lord, you want me to quit everything I've invested my life into to go and plant a church full time, not knowing where it's going to go or what's going to happen. How am I supposed to make my house? No. How am I going to get by leaving my income behind? Because, guys, I left 90% of my income at the time to go do ministry work. How am I supposed to do this? Well, friends, here I am many years later, still doing ministry work. God has supplied all my needs. In the United States of America, where 95% of all church plants die before their third year in, and I busted that three-year mark many times over, we're still going. Now, there was one point in all this when I was making up my mind, am I going to do this or not? I decided I was going to turn the Lord down on his offer. <laughs> it wasn't an offer. It was a commandment. <laughs> it wasn't a, a suggestion. It was He told me to do it. But I was going to say, no, no, God, I, I have to turn you down. I think it's better I stay at my job. And so the Holy Spirit told me in prayer, he says, well, let's suppose you say no. Who says you get to keep your job? And I thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So then that's when I knew I better make the right decision. Or I was about to lose it all. So when I look at how the Lord called Elijah, and then he called him to go way out over here, but then even the brook that he drank from dried up just to get him to move on. Friends, you know, that really resonated with me because I felt like in a similar situation as Elijah, you want me to go way out here and do what? Now you dry it up on me? Now you want me to leave all this? God, what are you doing? But I realized that God was getting ready to dry the brook up on me. You're going to lose your job if you stay here. You need to go. You need to do what I'm telling you to do. He was going to dry the brook up to get me to move on into the calling that he gave me. He gave Elijah a calling. I need you to go to this widow. He cut the, he shut the tap off. The brook is dried up. Now you have to go. The Lord was about to do that to me. So friends, I know you're probably looking at your situation and you see things drying up and you're getting upset by it. My advice to you is have a conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, where are you moving me to? Ask him, 
Lord, what's your calling? What do you have me to do here? And he'll show it to you. He's trying to get you to move. We don't like change. We don't want to move. Sometimes he's got to shut the tap off on us to get us to get up and and get off somewhere else where he's trying to take us. And so Elijah, he had to travel a long way, past a lot of rich people, to get to a lowly widow woman to ask her for something to eat when she was about to die. Of all the people in the land, the last person you should ask is a widow who is the first ones to, to, to die in a famine. But the reason God sent Elijah to the poorest of them all is because the poor are the ones that God wants to save. Jesus said in Luke 6.20, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. (laughs) And you know, friends, let's just get used to laughing now, okay? God says that's where you're headed. You're headed to good times. I know it doesn't seem nice now, but you're going to get there, believe me, okay? Now, the best part of this entire chapter is how the Lord proved his provision to the widow. He, He gave it to her. But we need to recognize that her blessing would not come until after the testing of her faith. And that's where people have a hard time with God, the testing of the faith. She had to give to Elijah what she had left. Now, this was her test of faith. Um, Do I think of myself here and say, no, Elijah, I'm going to eat this, which she had no intention of getting past that anyway. She knew she was going to die. Or do I trust God enough that he will provide for me too? See, friends, what you've been doing with what little you have, you know it's not working out. You know you're not going to make it the way you're going. So why don't you just give it to the Lord God and see what he does with it? Your way doesn't work anyway, and you know it's not. You're like that widow gathering sticks. I'm about to die. You're like, I'm doing everything I can with what I have, but you know it's not going to work. Why don't you just give it to God and let him work with that? That's what I'm asking you here from this story. The lesson for us in this is that if we walk in faith with the Lord and do what is commanded of us, like Elijah said, give me that to eat, give it to me. If you will, but it doesn't make sense. I know it. But if you will just obey what the Lord tells you to do, then that means you have chosen to be open to God's will. And when we are in God's will, he provides for all our needs, all of them. And just like how the widow never ran out of any provision, we too can see that the mercy and the provision of God will never run out for us. So from this story, remember that the Lord God used a poor, starving widow, somebody who was considered to be at the lowest rank of all society, to turn the kingdom back from King Ahab, who was considered to be the highest rank of all society. Friend, do you feel only this big? Do you feel very, very small? I say good to that, because that's where the Lord God can really use you. If you feel like you're high and mighty and you're the best thing that walked the earth, well, God's not going to use you much because you're prideful. Remember, friends, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And that's why I say, you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set